Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. I love that you're here. Whoever's here, whoever comes here week in, week out, I love that you're here. I want you here at this church. Um, And I want you to know we're going to fully and faithfully preach and teach the gospel week in, week out. And fully and faithfully means we can't skip passages like this one this week. We, we, we just can't. And it's tough reading and I get it. Now here's my concern. And I'm gonna be some, there's going to be some gut level honesty with you guys this week. I mean, I think we do that each week. I think Jesus was with us in this passage this week. But I'm going to say some hard things. These were hard for me to say. They're hard for me to study. Here, here's the first one. My concern is, is that... Many of you that come here week in, week out aren't quite sure what you've gotten yourself into. Um, And it's actually my fear that some of you aren't going to figure it out until it's too late. Um, And here's the deal. This is is such a huge responsibility um, to stand before anyone and, and open God's word and teach it and, and talk about it. It's, it's a huge weight. And, and I do not want to stand before the Lord. And having stood before you all multiple times and not made some things very clear that need to be made clear. So today I, I need to make sure, and I need to do this each week, but for sure today I need to make sure that I am valuing loving you uh, over being accepted by you today. So, so I want to come out of the gate with that. I love you. I love you, Hill City. I love that you're I want you to keep coming, every one of you. I love you, and it's in that light I want to look at this passage today. Okay, and, and here's the deal. Um, just, just in that light, let, let's start with how this passage ended. And he or she who has ears to hear today, let them hear. Because there are two sad narratives um, that have been around for thousands of years. And here's the first one. This is more the, this is more the narrative that I grew up in, which is the narrative of, of people living a life unsure if they belong to the Lord or not. Like what a horrible, horrible way to live. They think they belong to the Lord, but they're not sure. So they work and work and work and they do these things and they, they try to just like throw things in a good bucket because they're not sure. And then they go to their deathbed and it's like, did I do enough? Like, does God love me? Am I his? Am I saved? Am I born again? I just don't, I don't know. And that's a horrible way to live. It's, it's, it's actually an anti-gospel way to live. It's a sad way to live. It's been said that even Mother Teresa went to her grave wondering, did she do enough? But there's another sad narrative that we must talk about today that's very real. And it's real in this room, and it's real in this city, and it's real in the United States. It's real all over the world. That is, and is equally as sad as the first narrative. And that narrative is this, that it's when a person believes that they are a child of God but they're not. So I want to demonstrate the reality of your life in this moment, if you will just allow me. 
There's a picture of your life. And some of you are like, yeah, what was I didn't see it. Well, that's even more reality of your life. Only a few of you maybe saw it. Only a few people even know that you're going to be alive on this planet. And then it's here and then it's gone. And James chapter 4 verse 14 says this. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? So let's ask ourselves that today. I think that's a good question we can, what is my life? For you are just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's the reality for all of us. So so here's my prayer today. May, May each of us conduct an evaluation today, an honest evaluation of our lives in light of what Jesus said to the masses in Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them. So we want to start right there. So Jesus has got some people following him. It's a big crowd, right? But he recognizes something. So he's doing his thing, right? And he's got this big crowd following him everywhere he goes, but he knows something. Here's what he knows. Not everybody is with him. Like in this group, he's got some followers. But in this group, an even bigger bulk of the people are actually not followers. They're just more fans. Like he does some cool stuff that they can enjoy watching. He actually feeds them. They're liking it. So they're going to keep going where he goes, but he's recognizing, man, not not all of y'all are with me. And here's the reality of Jesus, where he is in his life right now, he's like, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Like he, he is walking in the shadow of the cross. It's imminent. He knows what's coming. And they don't. And, And he has to make some things very clear. So let me say this, Hill City Church, we've had a couple of weeks here where we've had about like 750 people or more. Now 100 plus of those are kids, so so say 600 adults here. And and I got to be gut level honest with you. I don't know that all of y'all are with him. And in this passage, Jesus actually says something three times, and it's just a good practice. If you're ever reading the Bible, and in a short passage, you see something repeated, like what we saw in this passage, allow that to cause you to pay attention. It's just a good Bible reading practice. And three times in this short passage, we see the phrase, cannot be my disciple. Another way that we might word that is cannot be my follower cannot be with me (laughs) 
It's tough stuff, isn't it? It's some hard language from Jesus. Like, I'm not taking this lightly. This, this, this is tough. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There's the first time. There's the first of three. Now, we can look at Scripture, and we must look at the whole of Scripture and, and understand what this doesn't mean, right? When we see that word hate, okay, I know where our minds go. It doesn't literally mean like what we're thinking in our definition of hate, because obviously we know what Jesus says throughout Scripture about love, about loving God and loving others. We know what the Bible tells us about our love for one another will actually tell the world who we are. We actually know what the Bible says about, no, 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 if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. So it seems a little bit contradictory, doesn't it? But we know the Bible has no contradictions, just apparent contradictions. So what is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is using a Semitic idiom. In other, word, in other words, he's using a, a figure of speech to show us or define terms of priority. Hill City Church, our love for Jesus must be supreme. Like it's not that we rank first, second, third. It's like there's no other category compared to how we should love Jesus. Our love and our loyalty and our devotion and our allegiance is to be at, at such a level that even our best love for anyone else or anything else, including our own lives, must be seen like inattention in comparison. Almost like hate. It's tough, isn't it? So, so, so let, me be, let me be pretty clear. Jesus isn't to be our Sunday guy. You know what I mean? Like he's not our Sunday thing. And I, like for those of us, we all have, like most of us have a guy. Right? We got our car guy. When things break down, we got our car guy. We want to go to a Cardinal game, we got our ticket guy. Hey, I got a guy. I think he can get us a deal on some tickets. We got our haircut guy. We got our teeth guy. Like we've got our guys and then we just throw Jesus in this other category like, yeah, he's my spiritual guy. And Jesus doesn't even allow for that. He says, no, I'm after your heart. And it's not just that I'm after your heart. I want to be at the center of it, and I want to be your deepest desire where there's not even a close second. And Hill City Church, listen to me. Monday through Saturday, we'll tell a story. Like, does anything, that, does anything that you do when you leave here throughout your week have anything to do with your heart's desire and satisfaction with Jesus? Or is it just something you forget until an alarm goes off on Sunday morning? It's like, oh, yeah. 
We're in the Midwest. This is what we do. I want to talk to my Sunday guy for 45 minutes. Anybody have a boyfriend or girlfriend that keeps you from utmost devotion to Jesus? Anybody have a job? Anybody have a job that deters you from full allegiance to Jesus? What about a family member? Jesus says you don't get to love them or that more than you love me and be mine. By the way, does, man, that seem, does, does that seem harsh? Right? Do, do the words of Jesus seem un-Jesus-like almost? Because here's the reality. This is the kindest, most gentlest shepherd to ever walk the planet that just said those things. This is the most loving person to ever exist who just said those things. tough, isn't it? Man, this is tough. Why would Jesus say these things? I would say for a few reasons. I think without a doubt because his glory is ultimate. He says them for his glory, but here's another couple reasons he says these things. For your joy and for the good and the joy of others. Because here's the reality. Whoever it is that you love more than Jesus, they were never built for that role. So if it's your mom, she wasn't made for that. If it's your wife, she wasn't made for that. The weight is too heavy. What weight? What weight are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. When you love someone more than you love Jesus, you are making that person your savior. When you love someone more than you love Jesus, you are making that person your sustainer. You are making that person your God, and they cannot carry that weight. And they will eventually crumble beneath that responsibility because they weren't built for it. And it's very destructive to elevate a person to that responsibility. Only one was made for that way. It was Jesus. That's why he's telling the masses, you gotta, you got to put me above all. I'm the only one that can bear this weight. That's why in the Old Testament, when the, when the commandments were, were laid out, the first ones have no other God's before me. When you love someone or something more than you love Jesus, that is a God. That is ultimate. And without question, I think Jesus turned to the masses and said these things, right, which would not be written today in 2019 in any sort of church growth strategy, right? The masses are coming. 
Say, you want to grow a church? Turn around and tell them that they got to hate their mom and be ready to die. I think Jesus said what he said because he wanted to shake some people out on his way to the cross, but I also think he said what he said in verse 26. He knew what was best for his hearers in that moment. He knew some of them would be disowned by their family, but I also think he knew what would be best thousands of years later in Springfield, Missouri, 2019. Because here's the reality for some of you, and for some of you this is going to seem so foreign, but for, for some of you, you are living in this reality. And that is this, those closest to you, the ones you love dearly, they do not love Jesus. And they do not want you to love him the way that you love him. We have college students that come to college away from mom and dad for the first time. They hear the gospel for the first time. And they're sold out for Jesus. And they go back home and their parents don't like it a bit. And their parents say things like, what are you, like, what are you doing? With this Bi- Why are you reading your Bible at breakfast? Like we didn't, we never sent you to college to go to a church like that. All right, some of you adults have, like you have family members like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you just say you give, how, what percent do you give? Are you psycho? Why would you do that? And it's in these moments that we have to step back and go, do I love Jesus more than them or do I not? Jesus knew it was coming. It was coming for his hearers in that moment and it still comes for people in 2019 in Springfield, Missouri. Do you love the people in your lives less than you love Jesus. You must. And we got a lot, I mean, we, we have so many new parents in this room and they're rocking their babies. And I mean, these tiny, beautiful little things, that's hard, isn't it? And it's so hard. I have four kids. I got to be honest with you, it's tough to look at my kids. I, I, I usually go to their bedrooms while they're sleeping two or three nights a week. I just look over them. I pray over them. It's like, I just want to You know what? You go ask any of my kids right now, at least especially the oldest three, we're already having the conversations. Who's dad and mom love more? They know. Because here's the reality I cannot love Jenny the best unless I love Jesus the most. I cannot love Brody and Brecken and Clementine and Oakley. I can't love them the best unless I love Jesus the most. And it's hard sometimes. i got to be honest with you. But Jesus says, that's the way it has to be or you can't be my disciple. When Jesus said what he said in verse 26, I'll say this also, I'm convinced, I'm thoroughly convinced that he knew what was coming and how kids would be raised in 2019 in Springfield, Missouri. 
And I'm talking about how they'd be raised in the good families. Say, what are you talking about? He turns to the crowds and he says, you got to hate your dad and mom. You got to hate your children, your brothers and sisters. So let's talk about the children for a minute. I've literally witnessed Christian families spend their life savings on 12-year-old juniors' baseball or basketball career because they think he's going to play for the Lakers. Forget that he's a 5'9 white kid, but he's going to play for the Lakers. We're going to spend every weekend of our lives because Junior's going to get a contract like Bryce Harper. Now listen, you guys know, most of you know me. So if you don't know me, you need to understand this. I love sports probably more than anybody in this room. My kids play them. We play all kinds of sports. We are busy with sports as part of our family life. I'm not knocking them. I love them. My kids will do them as long as they want to do them, and they're going to be fun. But listen, it, it is a reality that we take our kids and we take them, we elevate them to position of God. And our whole lives revolve around them and their athletic careers. And listen, just so you know, I'm not knocking on sports here because I love them. It's no different than some of you who are just so caught up in your kids' academics that you freak out when they get an 89% on a test. Why do parents do this? They know. (laughs) Why do parents do this? It's because they love something more than they love Jesus. Parents, what are we putting our trust in here? Education? It's good, but it isn't God. What are we putting our trust in? It's tough, isn't it? So, so just in case the masses didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he said you got to hate your mom and your dad and your brothers and sisters and your kids, he goes on. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me and for the second time cannot be my disciple. Bear your own cross. Now this imagery would have made perfect sense to the hearers. Some of them may have witnessed a group, right? So, so this is likely that many of them might have witnessed like a group of Roman soldiers coming to a, to a home and, and going and, and busting down the door and dragging out the man of the house and then putting the beam of his cross on his shoulders and marching him to his death. And what would have been said of that person in that moment as he's walking through the village or on his way to be crucified or to uh, executed, what would have been said of him is uh, that guy is on a one-way trip.
And Jesus says, you got to be ready. You got to be ready to do that. You got to be ready to go on a one-way trip. You got to be ready to die. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't, he's, he's no salesman, right? He doesn't try to lure you in with like sexy headlines and then leave out the not so cool parts of following him. That's not his mode of operation. So, so let, me, let me step into this conversation. Because there's an evil teaching that is in Springfield and all throughout the world. And it's called the prosperity gospel. It's called the health and wealth teaching and preaching. Let me be very clear to you. That is the opposite of how Jesus did it. And they're going to tell you, come follow Jesus and you're going to be rich. And come follow Jesus and you're going to always have your health. And come follow Jesus and, and your lives are going to be made. And it's going to be this glorious, awesome thing. And it doesn't make sense how they can conclude that because Jesus says, come follow me, you are going to die. He doesn't leave it out. You want to follow me? Yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you. It will cost you everything. Are you ready? Which, that's the opposite of how Satan does it, just so you know. See, Jesus just comes right out and tells you, he, tell, he tells you how it's going to be. He doesn't leave out the hard parts. He doesn't leave out the truth where Satan does. Right? Here's what he says. Do what you need to do to have pleasure. Go do that. YOLO. It's going to be fun. Your happiness is really all that matters. And then he leaves out the fine print. He doesn't even put it in fine print. He just leaves it out. The part about where you're going to walk away as shameful as you've ever felt in your life. Because that's the story for some of us, right? We, we, we've done this thing. Like we bought the lie. We did the thing that made us happy. And it made us happy. It made us happy for about this long. But then right when it was over, the shame was unbearable. Good times, that's what matters. But Satan says, hey, you need to be freed from the stupidity of Christianity. Come on. But the fine print says this. I will steal everything from you. I will kill you. And I will destroy you. Because that's his mode of operation. Because that's what the thief comes to do, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus doesn't operate like that. He comes right out of the gate. I love you. I'm going to die for you. Come follow me. Are you ready? you got to be ready to die. I'm not leaving it out. So here's how some of this might look for you all practically. you got to take up your cross. And for some of you, here's what's going to happen. You need to leave here and immediately, immediately when you leave here, you need to either get on the phone or get face-to-face, and you need to end some relationships. That's what it's going to look like. For others, here's what it's going to look like. Immediately when you walk into work tomorrow morning, you're going to have to make some significant changes in how you've been operating at work. 
And hear me, it's going to cost you. For some of you, it's going to cost you money. For some of you, it's going to cost you a lot of tears. But it's going to cost you. He says, you got to take up your cross. He said this back in Luke chapter 9, by the way. This isn't the first time we heard this where he says, let him deny himself. You want to follow me? You want to be mine? You want to be my disciple? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So let me talk to some of maybe you, of the more long-term Christians in the room. Taking up your cross isn't this thing that happened a long time ago and like you did your part. Right? This is daily. So like yesterday's cross-bearing, like that's over. Daily. And just in case any of the masses were unclear what Jesus said, we go to verse 33. For the third and final time where Jesus says, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus saying all that I have? Everything. Like, ev- like everything? Like everything. Your stuff, your family, your money, all of it. Jesus says, it's got to be for me. Brad, what are you saying? <laughs> like, I'm saying everything. Everything that your heart would cling to in order for you to have security and or significance, you got to turn it over. And if you're, not, if you, if you're unable to do that, Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. Everything? Everything. Hill City Church, can, can we in this moment evaluate our lives? Let's, let's step back. Let's evaluate our lives. Can we take an honest look at our lives, look at our family, look at our stuff, look at everything, and can we conclude Jesus has all of me? Because here is what I read in this passage. I read Jesus being very clear, and he's saying this. And he's saying to us today, like, I don't play second fiddle to your husband. I don't play second fiddle to your kids. I don't play second fiddle to your wife. And if you think I do, you cannot be my disciple.
tough, isn't it? Man, that's hard. One commentator said this, because I want to be clear here. One commentator said this. He says, when he's talking about renouncing all that he has, one must renounce all that he has. He says, this does not mean a man must sell all his possessions or give all his money away or desert his dear ones and become a beggar or a wanderer. But it does mean that he must give Christ control over his whole life with everything that he is. And all that he possesses, he places all at Christ's disposal that he might be inwardly free from worldly mindedness, covetousness, and selfishness. So Jesus turns to the masses. He says, you want to be my disciple? You've got to love me more than anybody or anything. You want to be my disciple? Are you ready to die? You better be ready to die. You want to be my disciple? Renounce all that you have. And I don't know where in Scripture we can find Jesus being more candid. I don't know where in Scripture we can find Jesus being more unambiguous. Like, listen, none of us are going to be able to stand before the Lord and go, oh, oh, you wanted everything. Because he told us that he wanted everything. That's why, that's, so, so if you notice, I, sk- I skipped kind of the middle part there, right? That's why Jesus uses two narratives there about, hey, before you dive into this, you may want to give it some forethought. Like, which, which person would go start building a tower without first getting some estimations and knowing what it's going to cost so that he didn't look like a pure idiot by not having enough to finish. He says, listen, you, you may want to follow me, you may think you want to follow me, but listen, you need to count the cost. And listen, we preach grace, free grace. Jesus did the work around her without question, but we do not preach or teach cheap grace. There's a difference. Jesus said this. Like, count the cost. And then he, then he uses a term for a king going to war. He's, he says, what king says, I'm going to go to war, I'm going to look at who I'm going to fight against and not evaluate. Oh, they have 20,000, we have 10,000. may want to reconsider. Let's, let's maybe send somebody to do some negotiations uh, let, let's try not to fight here because we're going to get annihilated if we would do that. And if you know the culture in which Jesus was talking here, like it was a culture of shame. If you would set out to do something like that and, and, and build something and not be able to finish, like you're the, you would be the, the fool of the village. 
the fool of the town, like shame. But, but in our context, we've seen this. We've seen the person that hasn't counted the cost, right? Like they come in and they see the church thing and they just dive right in. We see them like they're all, maybe all over campus sharing the gospel. Man, they're all, they might even be up here singing, but they're, they're out doing this thing hardcore. They never counted the cost and all of a sudden it's like they disappear. Where did they go? And they're not even living for the Lord anymore. Like they're just gone. It's like, man, that dude was, that dude, that's kind of a joke. It's a person that didn't count the cost. Jesus says, listen, you, you don't follow me. You need to count the cost. There needs to be some forethought here. And then he finishes. I won't have time to dive into this too much, but salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And again, I, I won't dive into this too much. I'll just kind of go here and the scientists in the room just give me grace here. What I know of sodium chloride is that it can only ever be sodium chloride. However, sodium chloride can be contaminated to such a point that it essentially just ceases to be salt. We, we are commanded to be salty. Like we are the salt of the earth to bring flavor into people's lives, to bring preservation into people's lives. But we can be contaminated. And based off this passage, it seems to be at least three ways we can be contaminated to where we no longer have saltiness. And one of those ways is this. Love something or someone more than Jesus. That's contamination. The second one is not be willing to take up, take up your cross every single day. Not be willing to die. This, listen, Jesus, this thing that we do here, it's worth dying for. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of something worth dying for. And a third way to be contaminated Salt is to elevate your stuff and your lifestyle above Jesus and not renounce all that you have and live life like this. Jesus, everything I have is for you, to you. Do with me whatever you want. That's what salt will do. And if we're unwilling to do that, just go with Jesus' words here. We're, like we're not even worth being thrown in a manure pile. There are a thousand sermons I would rather preach than this one. But it would be unfaithful to skip. So what do we do with this? 
Here's what I think was, is likely. I think some of you heard this for the first time today and it hit home and you're like, okay, okay. Thank you, Lord. And maybe for some of you, it's that maybe Jesus like invaded your heart in this moment and you just passed from death life going, man, I, I'm, I'm here. Like I want to count the cost. I am all Jesus's. Everything I have is his. And for some of you, it could be like, man, I've been following the Lord for a while and this is not exactly how my life looks. One of the reasons we come to church, not the only reason, one of the reasons we come to church each week is to grow in our affection and our love for Jesus. One of the reasons that we have Bible studies in our church and we, some guys come here at 6 a.m. and ladies come on Wednesday nights and we have other ones that are going on, one of the reasons we have those is to grow in our affection for Jesus. One of the reasons we have city groups in our church is so that together we can grow in our affection for Jesus. One of the reasons we come to the table every single week it's not a religious duty. It's not a thing that makes God proud of us. It's a practice because we say this around here a lot. Our practices will shape our loves. One of the reasons we do this every week is to grow in our love for Jesus. And for some of you, you're feeling a little bit convicted, right? And that's good. That's okay. Like if the Holy Spirit's doing that, praise God. I don't want to squash that. But I want to say this. I'm not, I, we're not here to make you just feel so shameful that you just give up. We're here to learn together and to, and to continue to grow in our love for Jesus. But for that to happen, we have to be willing to take honest evaluations of our lives. That's what I'm going to ask us to do today. We're going to come to the table. But I want us, before we come to the table, to just ask the Lord to reveal some things to us.